You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Hello, everyone, and welcome to All Creatures Podcast. This is Angie, and today we have an amazing interview. I am so inspired by my guest today. I'll be talking with Elliot Connor, and he is an Australian popular science writer, presenter, producer, and of course, fellow animal lover and conservationist. He is a TEDx speaker and author a new podcast host, so we're going to definitely have a lot of fun talking about that, and a filmmaker, not to mention for the fact that Elliot is best known for being the founder of an international environment NGO called Human Nature Projects. I'm just so excited to have Elliot here today talking with us, and I know that he'll be an inspiration for you, and hopefully today he's going to let us in on the secrets of how he juggles all of this, uh, including winning sev- several honors and awards and just how he's been influenced by animals and the nature and where we're going in this world. So, Elliot, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Thank you, Angie, for that wonderful introduction. Yeah, really looking forward to having a little conversation and hopefully I can shed some light on what it is that I do and how we can Uh, adapt our human relationship with nature in these very uncertain times we're living in. I know. Well, and I wish you could see me. We're not able to have the video chat going just because I, my internet connection is a little poor right now, but my face is smiling so big. I've been looking over your portfolio and at all your social media sites and of course watching your TEDx video. And I am just Amazed. I I mean, I think when I was 17, I don't even know what I was doing. I was (laughs) definitely knowing that I loved animals and wanting to study animals, but not really having any idea of how to do that and what that meant and uh, how to help the environment. So you're gonna you're gonna let us in a, a, a whole bunch of secrets today. I hope. But before we get started, I I was hoping you could give our listeners just a little background about yourself. Um, where you live, uh, what you've studied, and things like that. Of course, of course. So as you mentioned, I'm 17 years old, uh, which means that my day job is still very much uh, the schooling career. I'm Mm -hmm. in my final year of high school uh, here in Sydney, in Australia. 
And aside from that, I spend most of my time uh, doing various uh, uh, sorts of environmental volunteering uh, with maybe two dozen organisations. So I love to get involved uh, very uh, deeply in the space, uh, trying to spread my expertise, my skill sets across uh, all sorts of different ventures. But uh, chiefly, my goal is to reframe this human relationship with nature. So looking at how we as humans interact with other animals and how we view our place on this planet and then trying to use uh, storytelling and messaging of all sorts to uh, try and shift the perspective of how we see ourselves as humanity and then uh, how that translates into how we uh, treat other living creatures. So uh, that's, I guess, a bit of what I do and I'm hoping uh, very much to make a career out of that, but uh, we'll see, we'll see where that leads. (laughs) Well, and now, Elliot, did you always have an interest in nature and animals? I think so, yeah. Uh, I think uh, with most people working in this space, it's something... You're, you were born with it? Very that... much born with. Yeah, you, yeah, you grew, grow up with it, certainly. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, I was born into a British family, uh, lots of bird watching, uh, long walks in the countryside and such, which I guess has put nature in my veins. I was always... <laughs> taking holidays to see animals going on safari or what have you and then I guess I've just been very fortunate with uh, lots of experiences uh, having that connection with other animals I have raised all sorts of creatures at home uh, from fig tree leaf beetles to assassin bugs stick insects uh, bearded dragons so lizards yeah I, I really enjoy uh, looking after animals and appreciating them in their wild state as well and uh, I think that is what defines um, most environmentalists, having that ability to appreciate other animals and to uh, really get to know them on their own terms. I think that's how sure. anyone gets into this space. Yeah, or finding out that a bearded dragon does have a personality or a stick insect. You might People mm. that are listening might be like, what? An insect has a personality or a lizard? And when you get to know them closely, when you care for them, you realize that, yes, they, they definitely do. It might, not, it might not be as bold and obvious as like your dog's or cat's personality, but there's definitely a connection. And so I was wondering, Allie, if you could share with our listeners, if you have a favorite animal inter- interaction story that helps solidify your love for wildlife. Oh, which to choose? Which to choose? <laughs> all any any of them? All of them? Let's 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 hear some. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I've been very very blessed with uh, some of the experiences I've had to date. Uh, even right now, with the current climate, uh, with the lockdown, with COVID and such, I'm an animal rescuer here in Sydney. Uh, so taking in injured animals uh, from all around the. A district uh, which are reported in by members of the repub- by members of the public, and uh, then just giving them whatever treatment we can, whatever assistance to uh, rehabilitate and eventually release them. Uh, we've currently got a uh, tawny frog mouth in care, uh, so like a sort of owl, uh, a nocturnal bird uh, feed it young mice, uh, frozen mice, and yeah, a lovely, lovely creature, full of a personality, full of spunk. They're all named after classical composers. So uh, I think when you do animal caring, uh, you have so many creatures coming through, you have to work out how to name them all. So uh, we've got a system for each sort of animal. 
and all the frogmouths are classical composers. So this one's called Mozart, and lovely, lovely creature. Uh, but yeah, I think my most memorable experiences have been uh, when I've been overseas, uh, some of the chances I've got to travel. So the one I often recount is quite a while ago. So when I was about 10 years old and my family was traveling in southern Africa. So we happened to be in northern Botswana at the time. And we were camping in a very remote uh, national park, uh, completely unfenced. So animals wandering through. And I was walking back from the campsite toilet with uh, the remainder of my family. So uh, my two parents, my two siblings, I was lagging slightly behind, I think. So I mean, just at that age where uh, you're starting to gain some independence, uh, lagging maybe two, three metres behind, uh, appreciating the nightlife, uh, the stars, etc., etc. Uh, but just as we reached the edge of the campground, so just as we reached the edge of this fire circle, I had this sort of sixth sense and turned round, and there maybe two metres behind me uh, was a young leopard, a crouched oh very, very low to the ground. Yeah. So it's it's one of those moments you don't forget. I no. looked into its eyes for several seconds and uh, I think neither of us moved. I said <laughs> wow. something very understated, like, I think there's something behind me. So my brother turned around uh, with a torch, a flashlight of some sort, and obviously caught the leopard and uh, them being ambushed predators uh, once it knows it's been spotted so even once I've turned around uh, it's not going to attack or approach further Uh, but yeah that was quite an experience for me Uh, I think it really hammered home how uh, how closely connected we are as humans with nature and uh, some of this very uh, this very tenuous relationship we hold uh, with other animals. So uh, that instant would have been reported to the local authorities. I I don't doubt the leopard was uh, relocated or more likely shot uh, for being a problem to campers. So obviously it's a threat if it's become habituated to humans. But I think it's almost certain uh, that humans were at fault again for that interaction so sure uh, it had most mm-hmm. likely been fed by prior campers and uh, it had grown accustomed to associating humans with food and when it's a predator that's not a good thing at all no yeah but yeah uh, I think that's one that really sticks in my mind oh I bet I can imagine that one sticking in your mind I I am. I don't know whether to be envious or or what, because I've been blessed <laughs> enough to travel Africa a, a few times and go on safari, and I have yet to see a leopard. And it's a running joke in the podcast because one of these days I know I'll see one. But I do agree that I would not want to see a leopard in the way that you saw one. I would want it to be in a tree during the day, and me being in a vehicle with my camera at a safe <laughs> distance, right? Yes. So, yes. No, um, but yeah, and, and you, but you you do bring up some amazing points about humans and animal interactions and how how we can influence that, and sometimes it's not in a good way. And so, I guess for some people that haven't really been able to have 
such an incredible experience um, to either question it or learn from it. How do you get people excited about wanting to conserve animals in the areas they inhabit habitat, whether it's in the backyard of Sydney for you or in Africa, somewhere like that? <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. And I think I'm very fortunate working in conservation that people do love animals. It's one of those facts of life that we have that deep, uh, deep held connection uh, stretching back four billion years, uh, having evolved, uh, having lived alongside other animals for that immense stretch of time. Uh, we do have this very uh, visceral, this very strong connection to nature itself. Uh, so I'm fortunate enough that I don't often have to convince people to care about nature. <laughs> uh, but I, I think it all comes down to having the opportunity to experience it, uh, to yeah, mm -hmm. get out there, to see these animals in their natural habitat, uh, to uh, form that bond with them, whether it's as a pet, whether it's caring for an injured animal as I do, or uh, whether... Uh, you're fortunate enough to see it in its uh, natural state, then uh, either way, uh, you have this opportunity to uh, build this bond, this connection. And uh, that is, I think, what brings all environmentalists into the trade. Uh, it's what causes uh, the public to be con so concerned about the degradation of uh, natural habitats, these ecosystems. And yeah. I think... Ultimately, uh, that's how we're going to save them. If we can uh, really cultivate, really nurture this relationship, uh, we cherish with other animals and uh, give people that chance, uh, even if they are in the middle of Sydney, even if they're in a major world city, uh, there's always nature all around them. So if we yeah. can get people to realise that, I think that's a really good start. I think just Absolutely. moving on from the uh, leopard point, it, it occurred to me talking about leopards, I was just in South Africa, actually. Uh, so earlier this year, in January, I was doing some wildlife filmmaking mm -hmm. with a company called Wild Earth TV. And I think what they do is a really great example of this, how we can uh, connect people to nature, how we can uh, give them those opportunities. Uh, all they do is uh, send out two safari jeeps uh, twice a day, uh, so for three hours each drive, and... They essentially stream, uh, they live stream whatever they come across. So I spent six weeks on the back of one of those vehicles, uh, six hours a day, filming all sorts of animals, uh, which we happened to pass uh, by. It was in Juma Reserve, so uh, sort of northeastern South Africa, uh, west of the Kruger, so major mm -hmm. national park. <laughs> uh, plenty of leopards, uh, but uh, what I know, they... Elliot, I, I, was in, <laughs> yeah. I was in Kruger in October, for a week for a conference, uh, I was blessed to, to, it was actually hosted inside the park. Uh, and I know no leopards for Angie, but that's okay. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I, I love on everyone that sees leopards besides myself. And it gives me another reason to, to keep, uh, to keep going. Right. That's for sure. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Juma is famous for leopards. Uh, they're very, very habituated, uh, but by characterizing these leopards, uh, so they all have names, they all have a family history, uh, they all mm -hmm. have uh, their own fan group. Uh, that really gives people cool. the opportunity to uh, support them, uh, to build that connection with them, even if it's uh, via their television set. I think that's brilliant. Sure. They do. 
Yeah, well, it, it, the technology is incredible. I mean, the fact alone that I'm in Michigan talking to you in Sydney, Australia, and <laughs> or if you follow some of these social media links, I, I follow one from Kruger that's, yeah, live Kruger, and people put up the, the different videos that they see at different times. And so you really, you really can be connected in somewhat of a different way but still have the ability at the touch of a button or the stroke of a key to to do some type of interactions and to see behaviors and to maybe answer some questions or to at least get excited about animals. And for me, and I know for you, and probably for a lot of our listeners, animals, it's easy for them to excite us and inspire us. Uh, you've mentioned, obviously, the leopards and your bearded dragon and some of the other animals that you rehabilitate. But now this is might be a, a difficult question, uh, but Elliot, who are some of the people, the humans that have inspired you along the way? <laughs> yes, it, it's, it's another good question. Uh, difficult, perhaps, I think, uh, but I, I think many people inspire me. I'm constantly inspired by uh, the people I work with in my own Shouting Human Nature projects, uh, being able to speak with a dozen leaders a day from as many countries is certainly inspiring. Uh, I think obviously that great name I look up to would be Attenborough, uh, what he's done in uh, founding this industry effectively in uh, wildlife filmmaking, in natural history communication. It's quite, quite incredible uh, doing what he has in 90 something years of his life. I think uh, those are some large footsteps to fill uh, without any doubt uh, but he's certainly someone I look up to and Goodall likewise I think what Jane Goodall did in uh, communicating her research with the chimpanzees in Gombe uh, communicating about uh, breaking down this stereotype of a man the toolmaker and eventually leading to this realization of how closely connected we are with other animals so doing precisely what I'm trying to do, reframe the human relationship with nature. Uh, it's really amazing what she did in her time as well. I've been fortunate enough uh, to work in her own organisation, the Jane Goodall Institute, and uh, speak with her on several occasions, a very, very inspiring woman. Uh, but I think Goodall and Attenborough are those two big names. Yes, absolutely, Elliot. I've had the pleasure of being able to shake hands with Jane Goodall, and so that was very, yeah. very life-changing for me. And and as an animal educator, I've always said that I approach each young person the same and with the same enthusiasm because I never know who could be the next Jane Goodall. <laughs> Even if, you know, I think that that's a, I don't know, I, I it's just that yeah. that's how I keep excited, you know, keep the excitement going when I'm either giving the same talk over and over, especially when I used to be a zookeeper and milking the cows in front of everyone day after day and <laughs> kids would kids would raise their hand and you know same always ask the same questions and uh but instead of either being I don't know disenchanted or whatever I said you know that 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 little seven-year-old girl who's maybe never seen a cow before or a goat or a zebra or a camel or a kangaroo or a bearded dragon that I might have in my hand that that could be the next Jane Goodall uh and it's our job or my job to help promote that because it, all it takes is just a little bit of um, encouragement and support. And so that's why I'm so happy that you're on my podcast today. And then we get to talk to you 
because of your amazing portfolio and all you're doing and that maybe you'll be the next David Attenborough or Jane Goodall or you'll be that for someone else because of all the work that you do. And so I hope now we can dive into the meat and bones of some of your work. And so Elliot, I'm hoping that you can describe the Human Nature Project, what its mission is, and what your organization does to conserve nature and collaborate internationally. Naturally, yeah. Uh, So I think uh, the work of Human Nature Projects makes most sense if I put it in context. And I initially had the idea, it would have been maybe 18 months ago, uh, January of 2019. And at the time, I was volunteering for about a month in a raptor and hedgehog rehabilitation centre in southern France. So there I was uh, for about a month. I was lodging in a castle in midwinter. Uh, whilst I was uh, over there and I mean much of the spare time I had so in some of those long winter nights I also happened to be uh, researching analyzing the operations of about 200 major environmental NGOs okay so Mm -hmm. I'd uh, been volunteering quite extensively in the space uh, for several years prior to that but found it really really challenging as a youth as a minor and here in Sydney, to uh, get involved in those organisations. I found they were very inadequately equipped uh, to accommodate volunteers, especially uh, with uh, some of that bureaucracy caused by the age, uh, caused by the duty of care, etc. But simply not having the resources uh, to support volunteering, uh, to be able to incorporate members of the public in their work, And yeah, what my research found, amongst other things, uh, was very much that was the case, especially with the larger NGOs, so with some of the larger environmental organisations operating globally, uh, they they just weren't set up uh, to uh, allow your everyday Joe, who perhaps doesn't know a great deal about animals, about wildlife, about nature and what they can do Mm -hmm. for it, uh, to become involved in their activities. Uh, So yeah, Human Nature Projects essentially was my solution to that and what we're trying to do is create that entry point into the space uh, making environmental volunteering accessible uh, creating a community within conservation I think it's very very important in such an isolated uh, field uh, to uh, be able to connect with people across the globe uh, with similar interests uh, share ideas uh, collaborate on projects support each other's work Uh, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a sort of flattened uh, leadership structure. And I think that uh, definitely heightens uh, the engagement of our volunteers. Uh, they can propose projects. Uh, they can uh, lead their own national chapter if they're uh, so inclined. Uh, they can uh, contribute through the international working groups. Uh, so with their own interests or skills, uh, matching that in with uh, similar people across uh, the globe on uh, projects which may interest them. Uh, so very, very much tailoring the experience uh, to uh, whatever their uh, desire may be, how, how they want to change the world. And uh, there's certainly a power in uh, what we've seen in the last 12 months as Human Nature Projects has grown and scaled. Uh, we're now in 105 countries, uh, so uh, verging on 1,500 volunteers. And it's, yeah, it's been amazing as a journey for me. It's certainly a steep learning curve, uh, <laughs> trying to... Uh, 
equip uh, your everyday person uh, to really make the world a better place. Wow, Elliot, that is just incredible. And as you mentioned, there is a huge learning curve whenever you dive into things that are unknown and new to you. I think it's just people have to be, as you have shown, unafraid to make mistakes in order to grow. And I think that that's how you do grow. And if you're working on an organization now at the age of 17, I can just project ahead 10, 20, 30 years from now, human nature projects or anything else that you're working on and working toward is going to be that much more successful because I'm sure every day, every month, you're learning so much about what works and what doesn't work. And that is a huge database of knowledge that it'll just is going to be incredible right now, but then also for the future. So for our listeners, could you just give an idea of one or two projects that um, people under your umbrella organization are working on? Sure, sure. So, I mean, as I mentioned, we're sort of working on those two levels. Uh, We have Mm -hmm. these national chapters in so many countries and we have the international working groups, uh, which obviously are uh, international uh, across all these different uh, countries uh, with countless volunteers, uh, but organised according to the skills or interests uh, those volunteers possess. Uh, So on that national level, we've seen things like tree planting. Uh, We've just launched a major educational campaign, so a toolkit, uh, which is helping uh, schools uh, set up clubs uh, for environmental education. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's been a major work, uh, but soon to be uh, launched and disputed globally. Uh, We've seen uh, like film screenings. We've seen fungi forays, bird watching competitions. Uh, we've seen all manner of things. And I think that's part of the beauty of it. Uh, all these projects very much tailored uh, to the community needs and interests. Uh, they may be uh, teaching uh, local people about natural history, or they may be uh, working with you specifically. Uh, they may be working with industries. So uh, helping to make that transition to sustainable business practice all sorts of things. And then on the international scale, uh, we've got the 10 odd working groups uh, doing things like uh, film productions. So I uh, soon to partner in a six part documentary series on uh, animal uh, care, actually. So on animal rescuing, uh, which should be good fun. Uh, we've seen a literature review on animal cognition, and what that might mean for our human relationship with nature. So uh, some of the research geeks. Ooh, the, that's right up my alley. Yes, I yep. love it. Yeah, yeah. No, that was really good fun. And <laughs> I mentioned the educational side of things, which has been uh, certainly a journey for us. Uh, but yeah, that's some uh, brief sampling of what we've been up to of late, certainly. It's just so inspirational. And I just love, as you mentioned, how it's tailored to the community needs or to the individual, what their interests are. So you're not limited to just this one thing to do or this other thing to do. And it just seems like it has the ability to really take hold. And I I know you're in 100 plus countries, but uh, even more so than that. And I just am happy that we're spreading the word today and getting our listeners and a lot of young people excited. And so how has your life been transformed through all this charitable work? Oh, 
Yeah, uh, quite significantly, I think. Uh, When I started Human Nature Projects 12 months ago, I certainly wouldn't have had a clue uh, where we would be now, uh, one year hence, and hopefully where we'll be in the future, five years, ten years on. Uh, It's given me all sorts of opportunities. Uh, So I was in South Africa doing this filming because of that, uh, hoping to forge a collaboration with the a TV company with Wild Earth on a new platform that they had in mind. I've been uh, traveling across the world, so South Korea as well last year, uh, presenting at a major uh, youth environment conference there uh, with Samsung. So uh, that was good fun. I've been, I think more importantly, I've been able to connect with young leaders across the globe. Uh, so it's really expanded my own networks and my own a faith in the youth environmental space. I, I really wouldn't have imagined how many passionate, dedicated people there were out there uh, willing to put their name down towards this cause and offer their time, their expertise, their skills uh, to really uh, grow a human nature project, see it thrive, uh, see it mature into uh, what it's now become as this uh, international environmental organisation, uh, this uh, unifying constant in environmental volunteering across so many different countries. Uh, so, yeah, for me, it's really been a, uh, it's a, one, it's a wonderful reaffirming experience uh, that's allowed me to uh, see the potential each individual has to uh, change uh, the environmental space, to uh, really create a positive impact in the world. Uh, but especially for myself personally, it's been a real vote of confidence to see the impact I can make uh, with some of my initiatives and having that confidence to really see them through, to hope for the best, to set ambitious goals and to pursue what I believe in. Yeah, it's just, it's, it really is interesting how you start one thing or another thing and then the dominoes, the dominoes keep going and it just grows bigger and bigger. And I know for my podcast, it's definitely that has happened. The people that I've met, uh, the ways it's uh, fulfilled my life in, in such unimaginable uh, ways, shapes and forms. And so it's just, it's, it's really, it's really incredible and, and limitless about how much giving and helping actually gives back to your own soul or uh, just and then it, it's like fuel and then just it, it, then you just want to keep finding more avenues of ways yeah. to help and how you can teach other people and share and so now for me although the podcast has grown obviously and it's been a lot of fun and uh, we've met many friends internationally and talked to several conservation heroes throughout the journey which has given me a lot of hope as you mentioned which is fun but now Elliot the dominoes for me have definitely grown and spread and just into avenues and arenas that I couldn't imagine. However, I have not been asked to give a TED talk. <laughs> so for my own sake, and maybe for some of our listeners, I have to ask you if you could please give us a brief synopsis of your TEDx talk. And then what what was it like to be on that stage? Uh, definitely, yeah. So the title of the talk was Evolution and How to Save the World. Uh, The conference itself was uh, themed around permanent beta, so uh, how we can continue changing, adapting in the face of uh, new uh, circumstances. And uh, my approach uh, to that theme 
uh, was what we can learn from evolution itself. So I looked at essentially five laws of evolution, uh, five so-called laws of nature, uh, how these natural systems work, how organisms adapt, uh, thrive, survive, in uh, new circumstances and uh, then looking at how we can apply them as humans uh, to our own development so uh, how that might change how we look at our current practice how we can uh, move forward as a species and as societies uh, to better our current environment and yeah hopefully learn a thing or two uh, from nature about how to be a better animal Uh, so uh, really looking at nature from that unbiased viewpoint, uh, taking a step back, uh, distancing ourselves and uh, seeing just how much there is to learn uh, from other animals, from natural systems. I speak very briefly about biomimicry, uh, so taking nature's inventions and then uh, directly appropriating them to human systems, to human commodities. Uh, So that's an obvious example of what we can learn, uh, but some of the more subtle ones in terms of how we are able to adapt to changing conditions and how we are able to uh, really promote natural systems in our functioning as a human collective. Uh, So if we can work with nature as opposed to against it, I think it's a fascinating subject. I've just uh, written a a book called Human Nature on precisely that. And I think it's, (laughs) I think there's so much to go into uh, in terms of this relationship we've shared with animals over the years and, and then what that might look like in future which may be totally different if you think uh, conservation itself is only what 50 years old uh, so what we've achieved in uh, that half century uh, projected century on and uh, who knows where we'll be uh, but it's exciting times to be sure <laughs> I mean to speak on that stage it was a wonderful opportunity uh, being able to voice my thoughts uh, to the wider community here in Sydney and to be able to do so uh, on such a prestigious occasion. It was on the 29th of February of all dates. So oh, wow. Very auspicious as well. Yes. 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 Uh, but no, I loved it. I love it. Oh, that's just, well, congratulations. I'm sure you'll be up there again in years to come uh, talking more. And, and that's such a great topic about how, what we can learn from animals and why we should address our relationship with them what it was in the past, what it is in the present, and where we're going in the future with it. Uh, but when you are on that stage, and even now as an author and a filmmaker, podcaster, you're a leader, uh, even at your young age. And so is there one or two lessons that you can share with us about leadership and what you've learned? Certainly, certainly. I think the most important thing I've learned is to be yourself. I'm very much born introvert. I wouldn't have imagined myself doing anything like this. Uh, But what I've learned uh, through my journey of setting up human nature projects, uh, creating this global community and uh, working with all sorts of different uh, stakeholders in the space, uh, I've really learned just uh, to be myself, to be able to express my vision on my own terms, uh, to I state very clearly what it is I do and uh, the future world I'd like to create. And I think if you can learn to do that, then uh, people will follow you naturally. All leadership is, is uh, telling this story and taking other people with you. Uh, so uh, if you can uh, convert other people to your way of thinking, to your frame of mind, uh, 
then you are a leader and there's nothing else to it really. Uh, but that's been the most important thing for me. And besides that, really just uh, believing in people. Uh, there's, there's been uh, so many times uh, through this journey of mine uh, when I've been immensely impressed by this people power we've seen, uh, people protecting the planet and uh, the wonderful strength in this grassroots movement uh, but scaled up globally. Uh, so I think there really is no limit to what we as homo sapiens can achieve if we put our minds to it. Uh, so uh, that's been the other important learning for me, uh, just to believe in others as well as myself. Well, yes, Ellie, and I always encourage everybody, all ages, all over the world, get involved, whether it's locally or internationally, whether it's from your couch or more aggressively by participating in this event or that event. But I also tend to put a lot of hope, I suppose, into the youth, into someone like yourself. So with everything that's going on in the world now, especially with conservation and global climate change, things like that, what do you think the role is that the youth can play to help help shape the world and do a better place? Oh, I think the role is several fold. I think, firstly, it's as uh, that X factor, that unknown uh, force, uh, that inspiration very much to uh, older generations. Uh, so that spark of new ideas, uh, reinvigorating some of these discussions, uh, new, point, new viewpoints entering into the space and what that might mean uh, for uh, changing the current conservation practice, uh, I think uh, youth uh, chiefly act as uh, maybe the conscience of older generations uh, we've seen with the school strikes for climate and uh, related events, especially in this climate change space, uh, but also to a lesser degree in conservation, uh, how youth are able to really hold uh, the older generations accountable. Uh, so I think there's a certain yes. beauty in that if we can. Uh, yes, absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's definitely a beauty in that if we can uh, reinvigorate uh, some of uh, what's being done, uh, but also add new ideas into the mix and uh, to be able to share our perhaps more idealistic perspectives of what the future world might look like. Of course, it's this world we're going to live in, so we're very, very invested in fighting for it and fighting for this world we'd like to see. Uh, but yeah, I've seen uh, youth in this space doing incredible, incredible things. And chiefly, it's about uh, trying to reframe the dialogue in a way that uh, really benefits uh, the earth and it's ourselves, its future inhabitants. Yeah. And so, Elliot, what is your advice for young people that love animals and want to help save them? How do you recommend that they get involved in conservation, whether it's actively or someone that wants to get involved more passively, let's say, from their couch? Yeah. Oh, well, I'd recommend they get involved the same way I did uh, without some of the <laughs> pain and suffering, I think. I'd, yeah. Take I'd, your cliff I'd, notes, I'd, right? <laughs> yes, yes. No, I'd say that if you're, if, if you're clear what your skill set might be, how you can contribute to the space, uh, then just go out there with that. Find uh, a group of like-minded people who can take you on, uh, who can support you in that journey. A community is really important in what we do. Uh, but if you have 
some idea of how you can uh, contribute whatever skills you may be you may be an artist a musician you may be a writer a thinker a leader whatever it might be uh, there's certainly a room for everyone in environmentalism itself is one of the most diverse movements uh, yet uh, to grace this planet so <laughs> there really is a space for everyone uh, to make a positive difference in this world and if you're not sure how to make that difference uh, then uh, look around you look for other people who may inspire you uh, to do something great and learn from them uh, take on that wisdom and uh, be yourself <laughs> that age-old learning I think if we can all take that on there'll be some really great things that come out of it Yes, Elliot, I think that's really good advice. And hopefully today, and as this podcast airs internationally, we will get some more of these young people and and old people too, or middle-aged like myself, uh, inspired to be ourselves and to just, and to to not be, not be scared to, to either get your hands dirty or make a network within your community and things like that. Because there are there is a lot of power in the collective. Uh, it can be scary if one person can't make a difference. I, I tend to disagree with that, but I will say that it's much easier to work together or find organizations or people that support your beliefs and also want to make a difference too. And so we'll, we'll for sure put uh, all of your information on our show notes so that people can uh, get in touch with you and see what you're doing and be inspired. Uh, and, with your nonprofit organization, the Human Nature Projects, you said you're about a year or so into the making of that. How has COVID-19 and just this past six months impacted your progress and, and, and how are you dealing with it? Yeah, I think it's been very much a double-edged sword how COVID-19 has A big learning into... curve, a big learn, yeah. learning curve, I would imagine. I certainly, certainly, uh, it's been uh, very unusual circumstances to adapt to, uh, but there have been pluses and uh, some negatives to come out of it as well. Uh, I think uh, it's uh, really driven home the power of community. Uh, so we've seen solidarity rising amongst this global community, uh, be it about COVID-19 or about environmental health. And uh, we've had this very strong link drawn to our treatment of other animals, so COVID-19 being a zoonotic disease, and how that's led to this current crisis. Uh, so a growing realisation uh, that we do need to uh, treat other animals well if we're to survive as a human species, uh, how closely interconnected we are in natural systems. Uh, it has caused some challenges. So obviously all of our in-person activities, the workshops, the trainings, tree plantings, the um, all these activities across the global scale have had to be postponed or cancelled, uh, which <laughs> has caused yeah. a lot of late nights, a lot of uh, a lot of long work hours uh, to uh, set sure. things straight. But I think it's also uh, driven home how effective the Human Nature Project's model is, because we've kept on going, uh, kept that momentum, uh, moved all these activities online, and uh, being across so many different countries, we obviously can. Uh, really promote uh, through these online means. So uh, we had a, a live stream event for a one-year anniversary uh, with all sorts of people tuning in and uh, having oh, cool. a chance to share their thoughts. So, yeah, so yeah. a really nice format and all sorts of online webinars, conferences, uh, those sorts of things. And 
then planning ahead. Of course, uh, we've just passed that 12 months. So looking five, 10 years into the future. Uh, so I guess it's that chance to uh, really plan big uh, for when things do return to a state of semi-normality and uh, having uh, some plans in place uh, for what we can achieve then. Yeah, and I was going to ask, Elliot, what are your plans for the next five to 10 years? Uh, you're only 17. You have to finish your senior year, but what are some of the goals? What are the things you hope to achieve with this movement that you're creating? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, uh, I don't want to make too bold predictions. I, mean, I never <laughs> could have guessed 12 months ago uh, what would have happened. I know, I know, yeah. It's a strange world we live in. Uh, but yeah, a few things. So I personally would love to move into wildlife filmmaking. Uh, that's where I see my future career headed. Uh, obviously, keeping up human nature projects. I'll soon be done with schooling. So taking a gap year, uh, setting some more time to devote to scaling up human nature projects, uh, running it efficiently and effectively, and uh, hopefully creating a major change in the world, uh, COVID dependent, uh, seeing how things evolve in a few months intervening. Uh, but yeah, I'd love to grow human nature projects, uh, heighten our impact, uh, scale across even more countries, engage even more volunteers, and ultimately uh, build uh, this into uh, a common household name, this uh, unifying constant, uh, which uh, people can immediately turn to for environmental volunteering. So uh, making it much, much easier uh, to get involved in the space, uh, providing uh, those opportunities to uh, all sorts of people and uh, being able to uh, really uh, grow uh, organically what we do. Uh, so that's definitely a goal. And then just sharing the messaging. So I'd love to do it through filmmaking, but continuing my public speaking. So uh, be it another TED Talk or uh, be it speaking at other world conferences. I was going to do Wild 11 in June the World Wilderness Congress, uh, but unfortunately that was cancelled. It was going to be on in India in Jaipur in March. Uh, so that's probably in the books for next year, uh, but we'll see. And uh, ditto for uh, the uh, other such events uh, from 2020, this biodiversity super year, which have been postponed. Uh, so yeah, chiefly, I think I'd love to continue sharing uh, my voice, sharing my messaging, uh, grow this podcast of mine and uh, find new avenues in which to share my thoughts uh, with the wider global community. Well, Elliot, just so you know, here at All Creatures Podcast, we're going to be around to support you and applaud you and help you along the way and share with our listeners your evolution and growth because that's what we need to do. We need to all collectively get together and embrace one another and hold each other up and support each other. And so, you know, after that gap year, uh, you might, might want to consider the University of Florida. I don't know how their filming school is, but, uh, <laughs> or maybe just come visit us in Florida or Chris is actually out in California too. So, uh, we would love to, to have you here in the States. Maybe you'll be able to give a Ted talk here and, or who knows, who knows how our, our futures will intertwined together, but I'm just so glad and feel so honored getting to meet you and learn all about these amazing pro projects. I, I feel inspired uh, myself. I'm like, okay, now, boy, uh, Chris wrote a book, but I'm like, geez, if 
Elliot's written a book. Chris has written a book. Geez, Angie, I better get myself together. (laughs) I can't, I can't wait to read your book. And I also want you to talk a little bit about your new podcast for our listeners. Um, We'll, we'll put the show, we'll link it to our show notes as well, but how has that journey been going? And do you want to tell us a little bit about podcasting? It's been going great, certainly. I think uh, transitioning from uh, this film, this video medium uh, to podcasting, I've been immensely impressed by how well set up it is, how easy it is to uh, create uh, shows in this audio form and uh, how uh, fast this field's uh, growing. So these wonderful listenerships and wonderful uh, audiences to share my message with. Uh, In terms of the Human Nature Show, uh, it's been... Yeah, it's been a real learning curve, as all these things are. Uh, but I've been uh, very blessed, very privileged to speak with some amazing people. Uh, simple format. So I interview a prominent influencer, celebrity or environmentalists. And uh, the first part, uh, talking in particular about favourite animal of theirs. Uh, so I find it's a question almost everyone can answer uh, because uh, we are so... We love uh, nature in this very intimate fashion. Uh, we all have pets. We all have childhood experiences to uh, draw back on. Uh, so I've uh, been very pl- privileged uh, to uh, walk this journey in setting up the podcast and then uh, having that second part of the show, uh, which is like a, a trivia show, like a game show round in which we pit uh, this guest, uh, so this uh, prominent person against a few of our listeners on 10 questions about their animal of choice. Yeah. That sounds like fun. It's it's very good fun uh, for me and for the listeners to uh, (laughs) be able to have this test of wits. Uh, But yeah, it's a simple show for a man and I've been uh, I've been very impressed uh, by how uh, the show's uh, developed in a few months since we started. It's a recent project of mine, so I only had a few episodes come out, uh, but I've been very lucky. I've spoken to a field guide a creator. I've spoken to a tree kangaroo conservationist, a Belgian astronaut trainer, an American comedian. I've got National Geographic Explorer lined up for the next episode released tomorrow, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, it's, it's been wonderful for me uh, to set up this show uh, to have that chance to uh, share my own thoughts and feelings uh, with all sorts of amazing people and uh, having this new opportunity to connect people with nature and to the animals they love uh, through uh, this uh, portal of the show, uh, the Human Nature Podcast. It's been incredible. Oh, that is so wonderful. I applaud you and your efforts. Welcome to the podcasting world. It's it's so amazing and your work is so great. So for everyone listening, you're going to want to check out Human Nature Podcast and we'll put a link on our show notes as well, but make sure uh, to like it and or give it five stars with a written review because that always helps these podcasts get circulation which is really needed in the education and nature realm of things uh, since we don't have any since we don't have any big advertisers behind our names like some of the other really well-known podcasts so it's up to you guys to help us out here and if you're also interested in more of Elliot's work you can find him at www.elliotconnor.com and I'll put the link on our show notes as well plus I'm sure you're on several social media channels Elliot is that true? It certainly is. Uh, yes. So 
Uh, you can find me on Facebook or Instagram at uh, elliotconnor.eco. Or you can find me on Twitter at eco underscore Elliot. Awesome. And like I said, we'll put all of that on our show notes, but be sure to follow him, like his page and stay updated with all these amazing things that Elliot is up to. In the- and of course, make sure and like Human Nature Project on Facebook as well. Um, so you can keep updated on all the incredible conservation work globally that Elliot and his team are working on. And Elliot, I want to give you from the bottom of my heart, a sincere thank you for sharing your story with us today and taking me and our listeners on the journey with you. I have goosebumps thinking about your all the incredible work you've done. And I know you're young and I keep bringing that up. It's just because it's so inspiring to me and hopefully to all of our listeners that one person really can make an impact. Uh, but by working collectively, will make even a greater impact. And I also hope that you and I can keep this conversation up once a year or so. I'm going to be checking in on you. I want to. I know you're going to do great things, and I want to. I want to be able to say that here at All Creatures, we were we were on the early Elliot train. Like we knew you're awesome. We knew you're going to be the next David Attenborough or Jane Goodall. And so uh, I'll be looking back at this interview from years years from now, smiling um, because. You're just an inspiration, Elliot. So thank you so much for being here with me today. No, thank you, Angie. It's been a wonderful opportunity to have this conversation. And hopefully the listeners found it interesting. Again, some insight uh, from our, our little chat. Uh, but yeah, definitely keep in touch. And I'll, I'll be following the evolution of this podcast too. It's wonderful, the work you're doing, uh, sharing uh, the stories of these amazing environmentalists so uh, kudos for running this show and thank you to our listeners as well oh well thank you and hopefully one of these days i'll get to australia we have lots of fans and you can tour me around sydney (laughs) definitely and i will do the same in florida so take care buddy it's been a great time talking with you elliot bye-bye